Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Isn't that so good? Couldn't be more perfect for today. Uh, thank you so much, man. The, um, the, uh, just hearing that, and I'll, we'll post it online so you can, uh, so you can hear the part she was going to say. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if we got it all or not, but, um. Really thankful for what God has done in, in the lives of so many people. And, and there's so many stories like that where people come in and they go, in fact, we just heard that on our um, panel talk, you know, people believing in each other and believing in us and believing in um, one another. And I just, I think it's really, really a special thing. Um, I want to tell you a little bit of a story today. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sitting on a stool. It's very strange, but I'm trying to slow myself down a little bit. Um, I get so excited, I start yelling right from the jump. Um, but it's, uh, it's a vision story for us. It's a story that, um, that you may have heard, and you might start cluing in as I tell it. Uh, but I wanted to tell it and do it this way because I want us to hear it in a, in a, in a fresh light. Um, and, and so I'd love for you to, to join me in this. Let me, can I pray over this? And then, uh, and then we'll have a time of prayer at the end as well. And, uh, and then we'll commit some things to each other and to, to the Lord and to this house. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And I pray that as we, uh, as we hear your word and as we open our minds and ears to what you want to share, the Holy Spirit, you would speak uh, whatever I'm saying that is of no use. Let it disappear. Let it go away. But, Lord, whatever is meant to be spoken to the hearts of people, I pray that you would carry it clearly and confidently into their lives. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was, a, um, there was this healer, a, uh, uh, someone that was, things were kind of beginning to rumble around that, um, that maybe he was more than just a healer. Maybe he was just more than uh, a wise man. Some, things, some people were starting to say things like Messiah or Savior. They were starting to think this might be the one, and he had just done a regional tour. He had just started uh, traveling uh, in a region called Galilee, and uh, he had begun to go to different towns and begun to speak with authority, but he also began to do other things. He began to heal in a way that nobody had seen before, and they started to wonder, is there something more to this? And he comes back to his hometown in Capernaum, and... uh, and he begins to post up at this house. And in that day, if your door was open, don't come and knock and just come on in. That was the motto. If your door was open, that meant you were welcome to walk in. The only time you weren't allowed to walk in is if the door was shut. I like that motto. I like that idea. I wish we, we would do that more. And so this house started to get full. People started showing up in droves. Everybody wanted to both hear and see what this man would do. They wanted to hear all the stories. They wanted to see all the things. He was speaking with such a wisdom and such a a strength and such an authority that they wanted to know why and how. Because there was a certain order of doing things. There was a certain way of doing things, a certain way of speaking things and sharing things that were were kind of established. And you didn't mess with that. If you messed with that, you would get some people looking at you sideways and you'd get some people who had power uh, looking at you more than sideways. Uh, They're going to shut you down. And there was these four friends, four friends who had another friend who was paralyzed. They, they knew that maybe this was a chance, a slim chance. They weren't sure how this would go, but they knew there was a chance. And this paralyzed man was not going to be able to get to this wise man, this healer, all by themselves. 
And so they picked up this man, each person on a corner, and began to carry this man to the house they had heard this healer was hanging out in. I mean, what could go wrong, right? At, at the very least, they'd get a good road trip out of it, right? At the very least, they could, they could take a trip, and it wouldn't work, and they would come home, and they would have gotten to spend some time together. But at the very best, at, at the very best, at the highest of expectation, this might just change their friend's life forever. And so they decided to go. As they got closer, they realized that the crowd was more full than they expected. Maybe they had gotten a late start. Maybe they didn't make it out the gate as quickly as they had hoped. And they start to get closer and closer, and they realize this is not going to be easy. It wasn't kind of like a sparse crowd. It wasn't these, this crowd where everybody's spread out at a concert where the first three rows are full, but everybody else is just spread out, and you kind of make your way. This was kind of like a Black Friday Walmart crowd. This is the kind of crowd that is pushing up against the door, and they were wearing elbow pads, and you don't get in our way kind of crowd. There was no getting into this house. It's almost like they had prepared for this moment. And, and for many of these people, they had. For several hundred years, they had wondered if someone was going to show up and begin to do everything they heard was going to happen. Is someone going to set us free? This group of people were living under the subjugation of Roman people and, and, and the Roman rule. And so they had their little pocket where they could do life, but they were not free to live as they pleased and go as they pleased. And they had been waiting for a very long time. So anytime anyone popped up who could heal or anyone popped up who could say some really incredible things, there began to be rumblings and rumors and stories that got told. And so these guys said, well, well maybe we can get there. And this crowd shows up with the same expectation. Maybe this is the one. And it was so packed and so full that these four friends had a decision to make. They got to the edge of this crowd and realized who was in the crowd. It was a mosaic of humanity, right? It was every piece of the stained glass window was present, was in place. It was the skeptic. It was the, it was the early adopter. It was the one who would believe anything because they just wanted it to happen and the one who wouldn't believe anything because it just hadn't happened yet. It was the teachers of religious law. It was those who held up the law so that you had to live by it. And if you didn't, they would be the they would be the barometers as to whether or not you could be forgiven or not forgiven. There were all kinds of people in the room, maybe just like this one. Various places in their journey and various moments in their walk. And for many of them, they are just interested in seeing if this is the moment. And their four friends, these four friends carrying their friend, had to make a decision as to whether or not they were going to push past the crowd. Because whatever this man was doing, this one at the center of this house, in this small house, crowds of people pushing in on him, whatever he was doing was reverberating. It was making its way into the hearts and minds of people. For some reason, somehow, in some way, it was pushing beyond just the normal, everyday guy who was speaking and sharing and saying whatever they wanted to say. It was carrying further, and it was pushing further. And something was shifting in the crowd and different in the crowd. And so these four men thought, there's, there's no chance we make it past this crowd. And even, even if we wanted to, like, how would we? And they had to kind of make a decision because all of logic and reason told them that they should probably turn around, that they've done what they can do, and they've tried what they could try, and they've carried him as far as they could carry him. But this is it. This is all we can do. There is nothing above and beyond this. We cannot get past this crowd unless we want to make some people mad. 
I mean, we're carrying a stretcher. There's no easy way to do this. This isn't like we can just kind of slither through each person. We have to push people out of the way, and it's not going to happen, much less when we get to the final place of the doorway. There's no way we're getting through that. So all of logic, all of reason said, good try, turn around, you made an effort. And one of the guys turns around and says, I think I have an idea. The other three kind of go, we don't like your ideas. But for some reason, they decide, yeah, maybe we could try that. And instead of waiting at the door beyond the crowd, they sneak around to the back, again, still carrying their friend on a stretcher, take one step and another step, exchange a few awkward glances at one another, like, are we really doing this? Sure enough, they end up on the roof of this house. And that day, it would have been a flat roof, which was normally used for people to go up and be on and hang out and That was a normal thing. But somehow they've ended up on someone else's roof, carrying a man on a stretcher. And one one whose idea this was kneels down and begins to pull apart pieces of the roof. And sure enough, soon after, all three, all four are down on their knees, peeling back someone else's roof because they figured out a way. It didn't look like the way anybody else had done it. But they figured out a way to get this man to Jesus. And I can't imagine the moment because if you're peeling away someone's roof, my guess is that whatever was happening under that roof probably paused for a moment. And everyone who was listening to this man speak was now looking up at the roof coming apart. And they finally got this roof open and they began, I don't know how, MacGyver They began to lower, they got it wide enough and long enough for the stretcher to be lowered down. All eyes are on these four men and awkwardly and strangely they begin slowly and gently to lower this man. And I'm sure the people under this man, just because they didn't want to be the person who didn't help, began to help pull this man down, crowd surfing among this crowd that nobody knew this person. And they lay him down in front of Jesus. Four men sitting up at the top, just having carved a hole in someone else's roof, lowered their friend, not sure what's going to happen, unsure of what this man's going to do, not really understanding where this might end up, but doing it nonetheless because, well, because they loved their friend, and they had this weird belief in the person they had come to, a belief that may not really have been justified or valid. The world would have looked at it and said, you're crazy. But they decided to do it anyways. So they lower in front of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And Jesus looks up at the four men. Looks down at the man who's just interrupted his teaching. Looks back up at the four men. Looks at the man who's on a stretcher. And he says this statement. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now that statement for us doesn't hit the way it would have hit this man on a stretcher. There's a couple reasons for that. One, because we have diminished the word sin, and so we don't care how it affects our life. But we've also diminished the word forgiveness, and so we don't think much about how it affects our life. When you diminish the word sin, you diminish the word forgiveness. And when we, for us, sin's not a thing we talk about, but the truth is we don't talk about forgiveness enough either, the goodness of it freedom of it, the guarantee of it. 
Maybe we've heard it enough that we're so familiar that it no longer impacts the way we live our daily life. But for this man, the one on a stretcher, his sickness would have been connected to his sin. For this man, in his culture, he would have felt shame and guilt. The four men were not just carrying a lame man on a mat. They were carrying also the shame and the guilt that came along with being on the mat itself. Because in Jewish culture, you were sick for a reason. At that time, your sickness was a sign that you were sinful. That God was angry with you and whatever you're dealing with, you deserve. The rabbis had a saying, there is no sick man healed of sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. I don't know how they reconciled when they got a cold or the flu, but they must have some way figured it out. So this man, when he hears, hears Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, it is not like us going, oh, that's nice and sweet. For him, for him, his face would have immediately moved to a place of disbelief and joy and thankfulness. Most likely, he would have begun to feel a bit of disbelief and uncertainty, and yet also, if this is true, what else might be true? Maybe a tear fell from a friend that's sitting on a roof watching this man, shame and guilt come off of his life as this wise teacher and this healer is saying something to him that no one really is allowed to say. And that's just the thing. There's other people in the room who hear this wise teacher say, your sins are forgiven, who don't appreciate it. While this man on a mat is inspired and excited and expectant, the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees would have heard that and immediately been incensed. They would have been angry. They would have been righteously angry because no one can say this but God. No one can say your sins are forgiven except the God who created all of us. There is no way you can say this. They would have been enraged that this person standing in this room giving this person hope without the authority of God. And yet this healer, teacher knew exactly what they were doing. The healer teacher, even without them having said what they said, could sense their disbelief, could sense their enrage. They could, he could see that their, their, their shifting stance and their, their look in their eye of condemnation, saying, you can't do this, you're not God. And this healer teacher knew exactly what he was doing when he forgave sins because it knew, he knew it would lead him to the next act of this amazing play. He looks at them and says, why are you even thinking? Isn't it easier for a person to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise up and walk? Any charlatan who wants to be on your For You page or find you on the Explore page of Instagram or show up on a trending topic on Twitter or end up on the front page or show up in your email update, any, anybody who wanted to do that could have yelled your sins are forgiven because everybody would have been in a stir. In fact, it had happened on numerous occasions. People had shown up and said, I'll forgive you for this, or I'll forgive you for that if you do this and if you do that. There have been all kinds of people who'd shown up and healed but couldn't speak, and others who could speak wisdom but couldn't heal. And there was a different thing happening here. And so this healer looks at these men and says, why would you think such a thing? Isn't it easier to forgive sins than to tell them to get up and walk? And so he looks at the lame man and says, get up. Pick up your stretcher, pick up your mat, and go. 
Now, this is the moment. This is, the, this is where the empire changes. This is where the power system begins to take a little dive. This is where the people who had been labeling other people so they could subjugate other people, so they could push down other people, which we've done in this country before, where we begin to label and categorize so that we can also divide and have dominion. And that idea begins to crumble the moment this healer says to the man, stand up and walk. Because he's not in the synagogue saying it. And he's not been given the authority by the priest to say it. He is doing it on someone else's authority. There are two authorities that are at work in this moment. And this healer teacher is deciding the authority that I have is greater than the authority that you have. And Newton's law is very much in full effect. That every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And the moment this healer teacher begins to declare, it's one of five controversial moments in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Where the kingdom is beginning to be introduced and it's only controversial because it is pushing up against another kingdom that had been set up. See, the paralytic, as Elizabeth Johnson says, the paralytic's life would never be the same after that day when he heard the music of forgiveness and stood on his own two feet. He was carried in at the beginning of the story, but now he carries and carries on. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. And it wouldn't be a perfect life. There would be relationships he had to restore and things he would now have to do, and he would go get a job, and he'd create a new life. This was not going to necessarily be all nice and cute and sweet and easy and tied up like a bow at the moment this happened, but something was going to happen. And so he stood up. But this, here's the thing. When he stood up, he became a rock in time. It began a ripple that would affect us forever and ever. He began to do something in that moment that didn't just make his life new, that, but also began to make the earth new again. Because in that moment, Jesus was establishing a new and forever kingdom with a new and forever king. And he was saying the order is going to be disrupted in this moment. And he was establishing and announcing in a very unique way with a a mosaic of people standing before him. Some believed, some didn't, some skeptical, some were all in, some who wanted to ruin it all. And all of them saw the same thing, heard the same thing, and knew there was a new kid in town. Something was changing. Everything was becoming new. And he, re- he picks up his mat, and he walks out through the crowd, jostling and moving people. This crowd, wide-eyed, aghast at what they'd just seen. This man was lowered in through the roof, rather rudely, by the way, stealing our thunder, cutting in line. And now he's walking out with that very same stretcher, pushing through the crowd. When he gets to the door, he kind of has to push a little bit harder because everyone's so surprised they're paralyzed in what they're doing. And the paralyzed man is now the one that is paralyzing the crowd with unbelief. They don't understand what is going on. And he pushes through the door, out through the crowd, and the people who are outside the house look upon the man they had just seen climb the roof, lowered down through the ceiling, lowered down in front of this healer, this teacher, this one who was doing everything different than he was supposed to do. And they all looked at him and said, we've never seen anything like this before. They didn't see Jesus. They saw a man who'd seen Jesus who had been healed and forgiven 
because the kingdom was now going to be one of healing and forgiveness. As one writer says, the the thread running through these controversies is that human need for wholeness, for acceptance, for sustenance, for healing is much more fundamental to God's will for humanity than maintaining the present soon-to-be-old order. And one they'd never seen before. This man named Jesus had just done something they'd never seen before. And it wasn't just that he'd done something. He was also saying something. And everything was reverberating past that present moment. And it was pushing past the walls into the hearts and minds of men and women who didn't even make it to the show. But he's carrying his mat, which is a strange command from Jesus. Why would you carry the thing that had carried you? Because the stretcher became the very thing that spoke the loudest about who this man had just seen. Jesus, the rabbi, the savior, the king, the healer, was beginning to establish a new thing. But wait, there is more. Because you guys forgot some people. There's people in this story, they get forgotten real quick once you get to verse 10 and 11 and 12. We don't ever trace our steps back to those people, but they seem to be pretty paramount in the way this story unfolds. Because for a moment, there was four men laying down, leaning over a hole in a ceiling, watching as their paralyzed friend lowered in front of Jesus, shame and guilt and years of being beaten down because not only is he dealing with a disease and a sickness he did not bring upon himself, but others were telling him that somehow he had. Watching that forgiveness wash over his face and his life, and they're shedding tears, and they are blown away, and they're laying down, and yet now at the end of the story, they're no longer laying down. They're up on their knees, or they're standing to their feet, looking over the edge of the house, and they're watching the friend they had lowered in front of Jesus walk out the door, carrying his mat, smiles on their face, believing now, because the belief they weren't sure of is now a belief they are certain of. The, the unknown of what could happen has now just happened. The, the little belief they had has now just ballooned like the mustard seed God said it is into a tree that was now going to house all those who were tired and heavy laden. This was going to happen today on their watch, and they are part of it, and they never get mentioned. We don't know their name. We don't know what happened to them, but we know this. That because they didn't let the crowd hold them back from taking their friend to the feet of Jesus, because logic and reason didn't win the day, belief and conviction and desperation led them to the feet of Jesus. They were ones who announced the kingdom of heaven on earth in a way we've never seen. And they're no longer crouching over a hole in the ceiling. They're looking over the edge of a home, watching their friend forget they're even there because he's just so excited about what's happening in his life. Jesus looked at them, and this is one of those that has always messed with my own theology and doctrine. Jesus looks at the four men, and he says this statement in Mark chapter 2. I'm reading out of the message today just for fun. It says this, impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, son, I forgive your sins. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. The one lowered didn't ask for forgiveness. 
The one lower didn't really play any part in this except to stay on the mat until he got to Jesus. What happened is Jesus looked at the four men and said, your sins are forgiven. What is happening here? But Jesus looked at their bold belief. And he said to the one who needed to know that his sins are forgiven, that God is not mad at you, God is not angry with you, God is not hoping you stay in your, your, your mess and your frustration, but is wanting you like the prodigal son to come home. That God is telling you now your sins are forgiven. Oh, and I'm, I'm not even done yet. Because the church is a place where people should feel the freedom and the shame and the guilt wash away from their life, but also to stand up in the calling and purpose of their own humanity and walk out the door of this place carrying the thing that had carried them, knowing that they now have a calling that is beyond what they ever imagined or thought. Jesus seemed to respond to bold belief. As much as we want to tone down Christianity these days, as much as we want to get people to just be a little more quiet, and I understand some of it because some of these people might be a little bit crazy. I get it. But let me also say to you that there are plenty of people in the Bible story, in the narrative that God has decided to share with us, that looked just a little bit crazy. Jairus' daughter, the man who was blind, who kept screaming, Jesus, the the woman with the issue of blood, Zacchaeus on a tree. Jesus seemed to respond to those who went beyond what was normal or expected. Is that to say that it's always that way? No. Does God respond to simple acts of obedience? Absolutely. But also understand that some of the greatest breakthroughs come because of the boldest of belief. And I don't know which one you want to have first. Maybe some of you today need to be bold enough to believe. But maybe some of you also need to believe enough to be bold. Trust God enough to go further, to trust Him more, to push past the crowd, to take those awkward steps up a stair onto someone else's roof, to dig a hole, so that you might just maybe be able to stand up at the end of the story and look over the edge of the ceiling and see people. Oh, to see people walking free and whole and healed. To live out the thing they've been called to. Because you were willing to pick up a corner and carry it like a crazy person up somebody else's stairs. To go beyond logic and reason. See, bold belief comes two ways. Desperation or conviction. Are you desperate enough to believe? Do you have conviction enough to be bold? The Amplified says this, when Jesus saw their active faith springing from confidence in him, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus can read people's hearts, but he didn't have to do that in this story. He didn't have to look past all the stuff. He, he knew because the man ended up in front of him. Yeah, there's a time for God just reading your hearts, but there's a time where our active belief and confidence in him springs forth. And we do things that are beyond our own reasonable explanation. 
like go into an agreement on a three and a half million dollar building because you believe that God can do something here that is beyond what we've seen or experienced before because you believe the kingdom can be announced here in a way we've never seen it before because you believe that people will get off their mat, get out of their stretcher, and they will walk in a way they never walked before. Oh, to be described as those with bold belief. Will we have stories of bold belief come out of this space? Will we have stories of an active faith? Will our hearts spring with confidence in him? Will we be a church where you don't have to read our hearts because you've seen our actions. Fleming Rutledge, she said this, here is an important distinction with far-reaching implications for Christian behavior. The deeds of Christians in this present time, however insignificant they may seem, however vain they may appear to those who value worldly success, are already being built into God's advancing kingdom. We are a church of bold belief. We are a church who will believe and be bold. And because of that, I wholeheartedly believe that our city will see Jesus like never before. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are here in this place. And I thank you that today as we step out in faith, not just in our Vision Builder Sunday, not just in this particular moment, but in every area of our life. Where are the places where we need to believe enough to be bold? Where are the places that we are desperate enough to believe? God, I pray that in this space and in this place today, God, we would become those who trust that Jesus is here to heal, to forgive, and to announce the kingdom of heaven in the earth. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, um, we're going to move into a time. We've got a few minutes. And uh, if you're new with us or haven't been here, today is uh, Vision Builder Sunday. It's a time of commitment and uh, a time of bold belief, really. Meredith and I are participating. and um, I know many of you are. Many of you have been praying about it. Some of you brought this card with you that was sitting on your seat when you got here. Some of you are seeing it for the first time. There's a digital way to do this as well. Here's what we want to do right now. We've got a few minutes. We're not going to rush out of here. We're going to kill the lights. Band's going to play. I love awkward silence. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to take some time. What are you believing God for? Some of you, again, have been praying about this. What are you believing God for? Because as we go, you go. As you go, we go. I've never believed any different. I don't want it to be any different. As God breaks through in your creative endeavor, as God breaks through in your entrepreneurial idea, as God breaks through in your nonprofit, your ministry, I believe God's going to do something in you and through you that he then pours back into the body. And I believe he's going to do something in the body that he pours into you. I believe that we are connected whether you like it or Ben Walter had six, ten people up here yesterday for a couple hours looking at the life of Jesus. They all paid like 30 bucks to be here. 
by next year, that's going to be 45 people. We got a concert coming tomorrow. Listen, God's going to do some things because we're bold enough to believe it. So I want, we're going to give you just a couple minutes. And um, we're going to create some time at the very end as well. So don't, do not feel rushed in this moment. And then we're going to come up and pray. So I want you to just take a few minutes. And I want you to review this, think over this. I just want you to pray. I just want you to seek the Lord. I want you to imagine being one of those four friends carrying a friend. Because that's what's going to that's what's gonna happen. And then we're going to worship. And then a few of us are going to come up and pray over the day. And, uh, and I'll tell you more when that moment happens. So let's, let's just take a couple minutes in this.
Would you stand with me? Again, if you uh, haven't been around for a few weeks or new to this, or if you've shown up on a really special day for us, we are not asking you to participate if this is not your home. Um, Vision Builder Sunday is really an opportunity. We've never done it this way. We'll come back around to it next year of doing a vision series. And this is our opportunity to commit um, specifically today financially into uh, the future of our church to go above and beyond our budget. We have a budget that does certain things, but this allows us to go above and beyond that. It allows us to do some of the get on the roof type things. We have three different ways we're asking people to give. Number one is, and this is this is where I would this is where I would land for everybody because I believe what we do does something to us. So giving is something that does something to us. It is the countercultural movement in your life that keeps you from buying into the ideas that the world is trying to convince you of. So commit to regular giving. We call that a tithe. Number two and two and three are a choice in many ways, but you can do both. So pray about making a one-time offering above your normal giving by the end of January. That's kind of a Kickstarter offering we, um, to move into this space. So I, I'm not, I don't want to throw numbers at you because I don't want to convince anything. Hopefully you've already made your decision. Um, but that's, that's a $300,000 project to get this where we want it to go. Um, and then the third one is to pray and consider giving above and beyond your tithe for the next 12 months. And someone asked me this yesterday, that last box there, you can fill that out with the total number that you're wanting to give over the next year that is above and beyond. And then the check boxes next to it are the way in which you will do that. Does that make sense? If you use the QR code, this form is online if you want to do that. Here's what I would tell you. Don't sit on something too long. And I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you, we, the word that God gave us happened on Monday. And then I just wrestled with it the rest of the week. And so go where God takes you with it, all right? But we want you to trust the Lord in it. And we believe that this is a sowing into your future as much as it is a sowing into our future. And uh, we aren't just sowing from what God has already done. We're sowing into what God might do. What do you believe God can do? Right, Steve? It's our first meeting about that. What could God do? And, uh, and I believe God can do a lot more than we're thinking. So whatever you have to give. Give it. And uh, do it with the leading of the Lord, not the coercion of men. Alright? So, here's what we're going to, I'm just going to have Pastor Mary come up and pray. I'm going to have Scott come up and pray. I'm going to have Talisha come up and pray. And we just want to pray over these. After they get done praying, this room is, is given to you. In other words, you do not have to leave. We're going to play music. We're going to have music playing. If you want to chat and hang and slap high fives, please do that after you get out of this hallway. We want to give people who are still thinking, who didn't know they needed to be thinking, uh, time to pray into this moment. For some of you, you've decided you just want to pray over it more. You want to pray over what God wants to do in your life. And we want to give you space to do that. So we're going to pray. So all the new guest stuff, all the giving, all the normal stuff, it's still happening. Dinner parties are happening, all that. But we want to pray over this moment. So if you've got that card, or maybe you just know, maybe you've got someone here with you you want to pray with, I'm going to have, I'm going to pray, I'm going to have Pastor Mayor pray, I'm going to have Scott pray, I'm going to have Talisha. If you guys want to come up now, that way we can just hand it to you as we go. And um, just really, really excited about this. So thankful for those of you guys who are doing this. If you're online, you can jump on, um, jump on c3forward.com forward slash vision. And all of this information, all of this information is there. All right. Lord, we pray. Come on, would you just pray with me? Lord, we pray. As we, as we do this, we do not do this because we, it's an obligation. We do not do this because we've been convinced. We do this because you have led us to this moment together as the body of Christ. And God, we do this humbly. We do this expectantly. 
we do this not, not entirely sure what's going to happen when we climb that roof, but believing that whatever happens, you can do more than we ask or think. God, I pray that at the end of this, we could look over the edge of the ceiling, over the edge of the roof, and see people who are walking who were not before, people who are healed and whole who were not before, people who are walking in forgiveness and freedom and wholeness uh, who were not before, people who are living according to a different order. God, and I pray that this kingdom is established. So we pray over the business ideas. We pray over the master classes and the courses. We pray over the gallery and the shows. And, the, and uh, Lord, we pray over the, the venues. And we pray over all the things that are going to happen in this space. We pray over the co-working. And, and Lord, we pray over the church that is going to grow in this space. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Lord, I pray that we are sowing this, believing that you are going to grow it. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. In Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the miraculous building, Lord, that we sit in right now. Father God, we thank you for the journey of C3 Fort Worth and what you've taken us on, Lord God. We thank you for faithful people, God, who have who have been a part of this journey with us and who are just coming alongside of us. And God, I just thank you, Lord God, for the heart, Father, to live a life that live that lives with their hands outstretched, with their palms open wide. Lord God, that doesn't hold on to anything, but just so releases things because of the trust that we have, the faith that we have in you. God, I can just imagine the, the guys on the roof, Lord God, seeing and witnessing the miracle. God, that, that I was picturing us as we were just, as, as Pastor Brandon was talking, that we would look back and we would be like those men, looking and seeing the miracle happening. God, we believe, Father, that so much is going to take part in this building. So, God, we just ask, Father, for your hand of provision on this place, Lord. And as people give, Father God, that you would continue to pour out your blessing. Just as you have freely given, Lord God, we give to you. Father, we trust you. Father, we just, we so trust you with our finances, Lord God, the thing that is so hard. God, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your blessing, pour out your provision, pour out the miraculous, Lord God, that your healing would come. Father God, that we would see over and over and over again your hand upon our lives, Father, as we give. In Jesus' name. While we're all praying here together, I'd just like you to do something with me. Just with your hand right now in front of you, I want you to make a fist. And I want you to open that fist. Make your hand flat. Just as a, a picture, just as a symbol that we can live a life with open hands. The resources that the Lord may give you, it's okay to hold it with open hands. The Lord has limitless resources to go with his limitless forgiveness, his limitless love and mercy and grace in our lives and for this church. And maybe that's a good shift for some of us to have when we think about our resources. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity right now to exercise faith and trust Lord, maybe this is a wonderful opportunity for a test. And it's okay because your word says that we can test you in these things. 
when it comes to our finances. Your word says it, so I believe that. And Lord, I know personally some of the greatest tests and lessons I've had have been when I have trusted you with my resources, quote unquote, my resources. (laughs) And I've freely given, and you have refilled. You have put things right back in my hand. And Lord, I know that that is a pattern based on a principle. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to do this again because we believe in what you're doing here in the city of Fort Worth, in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, and in our own hearts. And we want to invest in that and freely give those things to you and allow you to do whatever it is you want to do with that. Our small seed can turn into an amazing harvest to your glory. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that. Thank you, Lord. God, I just pray over, first off, every person that's in this room right now. Um, I don't believe, God, that you have put the people in this room here by coincidence today. I believe that you have put the people in this room here today because they are just as much a part of this vision, God, as as anything and anyone else that will come and that has come in the past. And God, so right now I pray blessings over those in this room right now. I pray that you begin to bless them with a vision for their own life that will impact your kingdom, God. Vision in their own lives that will impact this house, dear Heavenly Father. And so, God, as they prepare today to give to you, God, and to give to this house, dear Heavenly Father, that you remind them, God, of the dreams that they've had, that you remind them, God, of what the things that you have put in their hearts to do, God, that you remind them of the things that you have done for them, that they do not forget, God, what you have given them already, dear Heavenly Father. And so, God, we just place um, all of this in front of you, dear Heavenly Father. We, uh, I'll never forget Stephanie Vili actually talking about how everything that she has in her life, including her children, did not belong to her. And just remember thinking, wow, what? They are yours. But now I see, no, God, everything that we have in our life was given to us because of you. It all belongs to you. And if we can just give you a fraction back today, God, and and over this next year and during this time so that your kingdom is built, so that your visions are seen, so that people are touched and moved and and, and began to believe beyond any measures because of what is done here in this house, God, then we will give it, God. We will give that fraction whatever you ask. So so people here in this house today, ask the Lord, what is it? What is it that I can do for you, Father? What is it that I can do to help you, Father? So God, we just lift that up to you, God. I just pray over um, just that Christ is in our hearts today. Um, Christ Community Calling. That is our vision for this house. And so we pray for Christ to be seen as we walk out of here. We pray for the community to be built bigger than ever before. 
We pray for calling on people's lives to begin to come into fruition if they haven't or to begin to get bigger if it hasn't, God. And we pray that as we put down our, our givings during this time, that those things are amplified, that they are exponentially growing because of our commitment to this house, to the vision, to the trust that we have put into our pastors, to the trust that we have put into our vision. We imagine things bigger than we've ever seen before so that Jesus is seen like never before. And it is in your name that we do all of this. It is in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.